0: Thank you.
1: Good morning. I want to welcome you to Memorial United Methodist. My name is Joe Cade. I'm the minister here. We're so glad that you're here. If you're a visitor, we've got bulletins in the back and we'll, you'll have a chance to sign your name on the register. And we also have restrooms in the back if you need them, and the entire service is laid out in your bulletin. Um, a couple of announcements. Um, the good news for the week is um, met with the program staff on a collaborative effort for Sunday nights, and we've got our Sunday night schedule locked in, and we did two significant things for changes. Um, One we're going to feed the kids at 5. So um, They've been having snacks throughout the entire program, and then they come home hungry at 7, and then it's a school night and all that stuff. So um, we're going to feed your kids immediately at 5 p.m., children and youth. It's going to be real classy. It's going to be pizza and paper plates, I believe, and potentially napkins. And so that will be at 5 o'clock, and then at uh, also at, fi- at the 5 o'clock hour is Cindy's uh, handbells with the children until 5.30. At 5.30, children will go with Katie to Bible study or Cindy to choir. Uh, based on their age. Youth will remain in the gym at 5.30. At 6 o'clock, children will switch from Katie to Cindy and Cindy to Katie, and all youth will be combined in one class uh, for a lesson upstairs. At 6 p.m., adults are meeting uh, with the McQuaids. Either Bobby or Bob will teach a class, and um, I'm going to try to go to all those programs. And then at 6.30, Katie will lead mission kids with all children combined. What we're trying to do is, um, number one, feed them at the top, and number two, release them all at the same time at the end. So if you have kids in both levels of programs that um, you're not waiting around uh, with, with a tired, hungry kid, um, and we hope that those uh, changes will have a serious positive impact on, um, on um, Sunday nights. Um, in terms of security. Um, Security's been an issue in churches, it's been a a conversation, what should we do in terms of um, communicating with each other. And the trustees came up with a plan where um, I text every trustee and every staff member every Sunday morning in one group text. And we all figure out who the trustee of the day is. We have a trustee that wanders- that don't wander, they're directly going to specific places. And that trustee will go and respond to any security or medical thing that we have in any building because we'll all get the text at the same time. So if you see a trustee looking at their phone, there's potential they're looking at the internet, but there's potential they're looking at a message that is telling them that there's something going on in the church. So that is for their safety. Um, UMW board meeting is tomorrow at 1030. Um, Tomorrow at 1030, August 17th. There's a different thing. I'm not going to say it because then that'll be in your head. Um, Tomorrow it's 1030, August 17th. I believe, I believe that's everything. That's got to be enough. Um, So let's turn our hearts towards the Lord. let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for calling us to your house where we may support with one another, where we may have conversations with one another, where we may pray and sing with one another. Open the word to us this day that we can hear your message of hope, of purpose, of joy in your name. In your son's name we pray. Amen. Please stand for our opening hymn number 62. Please be seated. We have the children come forward for the children's sermon.
2: just talk loud I'm not sure if my mind is it working now okay all right Um, well I tend to talk loud anyways I have that teacher voice what is going on this week is there anything going on this week what you guys got going on school we start going back to school right I know my boys are really excited about going back to school and um, this weekend, um, we started a new old tradition in my family. We went to um, pick blackberries, and we didn't realize that while we were picking the blackberries, some of the apples were in. And apples always remind me of going back to school. Um, it makes me excited about fall. And um, they're really, you know, great to eat, too. They're delicious. Um, but it, it reminded me of a scripture out of Luke 13, chapter six through nine, and I'm just going to read it to you, and then we'll talk about it a little bit. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. He said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree, and I haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig around it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. Well, basically what this scripture means um, is that God wants us to bear fruit. Um, what do you think that means to bear fruit? We want to bear good fruit, right? We like to eat delicious fruit. You don't want to eat a rotten apple. I know we saw lots of rotten apples on the ground. But God likes us to bear fruit, and um, he, he makes Him happy when we do. And the fruits of the Spirit... Um, When I was growing up, and I especially remember singing it at summer camp at Asbury Hills, and I will not sing it, but um, (laughs) I remembered it this way, but the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, I won't ask you to repeat that back, but those are different things that we can think about doing when we go back to school, Um, bearing those fruits and, and thinking about how we can show our love to others. Yes. Do you have a question? Okay. (laughs) But being nice to others, or how could you show God's love to others at school? Maybe if someone is sitting alone, you could go sit with them or play with them or share your toys, just different things like that maybe. Well... I challenge you to, when you go back to school, to think about those things and think about how you could ch- show God's love. And we actually brought some apples back to share. And you could, you know, traditionally they say you can give these to the teacher on the first day of school, but you might want to enjoy yours. Um, so I'll go ahead and give everybody one. Um, you can take these with you and that will maybe, thank you, that will maybe remind you um, to, you know, bear God's fruit. Want one time? All right, so pray with me. Dear Jesus, help us to have the kind of fruit in our lives that would be pleasing to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
1: Typically on this day, Miss Beth takes the children to the library, Um, but Beth's mom is not feeling well, so she said uh, Patsy Farmer could take the children. If any children want to go with Miss Patsy, you can go to the library. During worship today. Miss Beth asks Miss Patsy to cover four. Chapter
3: twelve, verses seven through ten. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly, about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God.
1: Father, throughout the Bible, we have seen people pray in great sadness from loss of loved ones or loss of country. We've seen people pray in great joy at new life, new relationships, and reestablishing the country. We've seen people pray in great anger, feeling that you have ignored them. And throughout human history, you have listened and comforted. As we read of your prayer this day, the interaction of human beings communicating with you through prayer inspire us and teach us, lead us, that we throughout this week and in the year to come can pray in your name as your people have done since there have been human beings. Teach us this morning, Lord, with the prayer your Son taught us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, deliver us from evil, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. It's now time to offer our tithes and other offerings, and if you're on the inside end of the pew, if you'll pass the register down to the other side. As Don makes his way to the organ, I'll tell you, we wouldn't typically sing Go to Dark Gethsemane in the beginning of August. And that's the fun about picking a sermon series, a book series. You pick the hymns to pick the scripture. It's been so much fun to see what 9 and 11 have both done to match the scripture. And so singing this song uh, really captures what we're trying to do with uh, scripture for the day. Number 290. Please be seated. I don't know um, if y'all know Greg Foster. Primarily, he's in nine o'clock. He's a uh, works for GE on jet turbines. Well, however, Earth, you do that. Um, but he also does sound. And so, Greg spent some time with our soundboard this morning. I hope that we'll continue to make the sound the best it can possibly be here in the sanctuary. So, why read a text about Paul who's writing his? church in Corinth saying I prayed to God that he could remove this great pain and God said well I can't but my grace is sufficient why sing a hymn that we just sung about um, Jesus being tried and crucified and placed in the tomb as we normally would in holy week because we're talking about prayer chapter 2 from Adam Hamilton's book why my prayers go unanswered this is a critical question and um, having this discussion, I thought it'd be interesting to, to use the text that you might use on Monday, Thursday, when Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, to see how Jesus dealt with that sort of issue. So that being said, this time of year, most American sports fans are turning towards football. And in this region, many times it's college football. Um, I, you know, there's so much drama and, uh, and uh, things that are said to one another in college that I've started to go towards the NFL because no one really cares. I just watch the NFL, and I watch the Saints play the Patriots. Nobody- no one ever gives me a hard time about the Saints and the Patriots. Um, And so I will uh, watch all the pregame stuff, and I'll compare it- I don't don't watch like a normal fan. Like I watch it like a nerd, like I'll compare it against the magazine and who's doing what and, and how they're progressing and who's been traded. But it's also important to me as a sports fan to keep watching baseball because it's starting to get very interesting, and especially in the playoffs. One of my favorite playoff stretches ever was in 2004, and it was the Yankees and the Red Sox. And somewhere around 1918, the owner of the Red Sox traded Babe Ruth to get an amount of money to bankroll his uh, play on Broadway. And after he did that, the Red Sox stopped winning World Series, and the Yankees won something like twenty-seven. Twenty-seven! And in this particular series in 2004, the Yankees were leading the series three to zero, best out of seven, so if they won again, it's over. And the Yankees have beaten the Red Sox again, and the Red Sox have lost to the Yankees again. And so in game four, Um, Fox was covering it, and they did an amazing job really panning in on Red Sox fans there at Fenway in the downtime in between pitches. And what would you say the posture of the Red Sox fans was at that time? (laughs) Okay, so some of them were praying that it could just end mercifully. Can they, can they just beat us in game four and we never have to deal with this again and maybe quit baseball? Some of them were saying if we could just win one so that we're not swept today. Um, and I'm sure some of them, where they would get any sort of confidence to pray for actual victory in the series after their entire lifetime, I don't know, but maybe they were. And then they won game four. And then they won game five. And then they went back to Yankee Stadium and they won game 6 and the series was tied 3 to 3. And in the past, in the year before, the series was tied and they were in game 7 and there was a question of if leave the pitcher in or not and they left the pitcher in, the guy gave up a home run and the Yankees went on to the World Series and the Red Sox went home. So in game 7, Red Sox fans are thinking okay, um I know that I just asked for a victory in game four, and that was all I ever wanted. And then all I ever wanted was game five, and then six, but really, if I could just have seven, I will never, hmm, and it would show them and they'd be doing this. What was interesting is then they'd pan it in the next pitch, and who else was like that? Yankees fans. Red Sox fans are like this, and Yankees fans are like this, they're going, hmm. Please don't let us be the only team in playoff history that had a three-game lead and lost four in a row to the Red Sox to allow them to go to the World Series. So both groups are doing this. To two different baseball gods? To a different God? No. Both groups are praying earnestly that something may happen for their team to the same God. And so here's the question. Does God impact outcomes every single time? Whether you make it to a meeting when you're late, when we pray for that, whether it rains when there's a wedding outdoors for a loved one. I lived in Charleston and Mount Pleasant for a total of seven years and probably did 30 weddings and 95% of those weddings were outdoors and 95% of Charleston weather is unpredictable and hot. And so I would see family members just going, mm, if, you, mm, if you will just get this storm to roll over past us, does God impact that every time and have a hand in what's happening? Whether you get a positive report on your medical test that you've been waiting on. With those questions in mind, let's turn to Luke 22 starting with verse 39 and it's on page 1638 in your pew Bible. Um, This is just prior to going into Jerusalem, where he will be tried, where he will be found guilty, where he will be um, placed in a cell in order to be crucified. Jesus left and made his way to the Mount of Olives, as was his custom. And the disciples followed him. When they arrived, he said to them, pray that you won't give in to temptation. He withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed." So I think that's fascinating. Pray that you're not weak for the next 15 or 20 minutes as I go over here. Now, um, what kind of temptations would there be when he says, pray that you don't give in to temptation? Well, the best indicator of future performance is what? past behavior, so in the past they've thought about themselves, in the past they've reacted out of fear, in the past they've um, not wanted him to leave, in the past they've um, said that we're going to dictate what's going to happen, so if you could not do any of those things that come naturally to you in this period of time that's amplified by the fact that we're about to go into Jerusalem, I'd ask you to pray for that, is what he says to them. Jesus knows there are very difficult times coming because he knows the full potential of the evil of humanity. He also knows the fear that resides in the hearts of his disciples, and he knows how they will react in the midst of that fear. So I've had the great fortune of visiting Israel on two occasions, and there are, um, there are many images, but three very distinct images are um, the plush... Uh, green and mountains, and the um, Sea of Galilee uh, in the northern area. Just the most beautiful lake you've ever seen, that plus the fact that you think 85% of the Bible, of the um, gospel, happened here around these little towns. Then another image is the uh, just barren desert, but for a couple ferocious trees around the Dead Sea. Down where John the Baptist was gathering people, south of Jerusalem, where um, uh, um, Joshua brought his people—that's right, Ralph was at nine. Joshua brought his people over into the Promised Land around there in Jericho, um, and then entirely different image is the supremely cramped, historic yet modern Jerusalem, and that was the last thing we did. And you think like, I am going to the holy city. Not only holy for uh, the Christian faith, but for the Jewish faith, and for the Muslim faith. And you go there and people honking their horns just like they are in Atlanta. They're mad just like they are in Atlanta, because they just live there. I mean they're faithful, and some people are religious and some people are, are not, but it's this busy loud thing that's on top of you. And when you're in Jerusalem you- uh, there's a vantage point where his disciples would likely come in where you could see the whole city, but then you go down a hill that's steep enough that as a young adult I was watching my footing winding down and you go down into a valley and in the valley you're looking up at the wall of Jerusalem and it looks like the most ferocious thing. You know what's on the other side and it's not going to be good. It's not going to be good. So they're down in that valley. And this is what Jesus says in verse 42 down in that valley. He said, Father, if it's your will, take this cup of suffering away from me. And I think, that's, I think that's significant enough to just read that and stop because it shows how human Jesus is. You say, I don't know if Jesus understands what it's like to be me. I have to deal with being human and every day and things that I have to do. Of course Jesus does. Because Jesus was human. He said, if you could take this cup of suffering away from me. So here's your first quote of the day from chapter 2 in Adam's book, why? Many people struggle with their faith because of God's silence and apparent impotence when they cry out to Him in their time of greatest need. What makes these unanswered prayers even more disturbing is the fact that some Christians claim that God regularly answers their prayers. So if you're thinking, I prayed for my marriage, and I prayed, and I prayed, and I tried, and I tried, and it just didn't work, and I couldn't have prayed any harder, and I couldn't have tried any harder, and my marriage just didn't work, and you hear another person say, I prayed that I would make it to my meeting, and I made it. you think. Is that as significant as the thing that I was praying for? Is there something that, that you did that I didn't do? Is there something that I did that was wrong that you didn't do that allowed that to be answered? And then you get into very difficult questions. Questions that I think are important. Um, we don't necessarily have to settle them entirely, but we sure have to ask them. For the people who have prayed earnestly for something and have experienced what they feel like is God just sitting up there going, hmm. Jesus said, however, not my will but your will must be done. Then a heavenly angel appeared to him and strengthened him. He was in anguish and prayed even more earnestly. His sweat became like drops of blood falling from the ground. So the interesting part for me in this text is something I've honestly never noticed. I must have always read the other Gospels of this story. And this Gospel is the only one that includes an angel coming to Jesus. No other one does. Uh, Matthew, Mark, or John. An angel came and strengthened him in this moment. So if you reflect back on his time of temptation for the 40 days, when did the angels help him? Was it during the time? was it before the time? It was after the time. So he went in the desert and had great suffering and trial and temptation and no food and no water. And after he got through it, the angels attended him. In this instance, the angel comes before the trial and the temptation. But the angel doesn't stop the march. The angel doesn't come to him and say, Um, So, I'm here so that we don't have to do this. I'm here so that you don't have to experience pain. I'm here so you don't have to experience death. The angel doesn't say any of those things. Instead, the angel comes, is present with him in the name of God and strengthens him. So the question is, what are we supposed to do with the text in Matthew 21? Whatever you ask for in faith, you will receive. Y'all familiar with that text? Some people quote it hard. And honestly, uh, I'll see people on television quote it a little too hard, in my opinion, in things that are just for you, not for the church or for the kingdom or for all of Christianity. So this is what Adam says. I suggest that Jesus' hearers understood that Jesus was speaking hyperbolically when he said what do you, whatever you ask for in prayer and faith you will receive. They did not think that he was suggesting that they could pray for wealth and then have it, or that they could pray for the Romans to leave and they'd be gone. They did, they did not think he was saying pray for world peace and then it would instantly happen. Or that if they only prayed with faith of all their problems, challenges, disappointments, and illnesses, they would magically disappear and be resolved. Adam says, I don't believe that was Jesus' intention when he said pray that way. He said, I think they understood that Jesus was saying, go to God with your burdens. Be bold when you pray. Trust that God hears your prayers. And in ways that you don't fully understand, God will see you through the situation that you face. Isn't that interesting? So if- um, he also has a funny little part in there that what if- what would this world look like if God granted our every prayer? We could get sort of crazy like, I like that girl, I want her to be my girlfriend. God I pray that she be my girlfriend, and she is. (laughs) I pray that I may get an F-350 super package. with the the extra uh, extended doors. I pray that I may never ever worry about money again. And then we were granted those things, you know, like a genie. What would that be like? Instead, we as humans who have frail bodies who live in this violent world go to God in prayer boldly knowing that God is listening. When he got up from praying, he went to his disciples. He found them asleep. Overcome with grief, he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray so that you won't give in to temptation. So in that moment, when he says, look, I need y'all to be praying over here, I'm gonna go over here, and then he comes back and they're all passed out asleep, wouldn't that be disheartening? He knows they're human. He knows they're exhausted. He knows they've had enough. But he wants them to pray again. He says, pray that you won't give in to temptation because it's at every turn when we go in those walls. Adam said, God does not always answer our prayers even when we offer those prayers in faith at times of a real and pressing need. They also teach us that while God may not answer our prayers as we pray them, God does not abandon us. More than that, these accounts tell us that God works through these situations from which we have not been delivered as we asked. So I, I personally, I know that everyone has their belief, I personally don't believe that God causes violent acts to us in order to teach us a lesson any more than you as a parent would hope that your child would experience some sort of violent accident so that you go, see, now you learned something. I think that just happens. And as a parent would go to a child in brokenness and violence and say, I'm so sorry that it happened. How can I help you heal? I believe God does that with us as well. So. Um, the offertory was um, instrumental, but did you notice the tune? Did you look at it in the, in the bulletin? They'll know that we are Christians by our love. And say they'll know we're Christians because we're granted everything we could ever dream of every time we ask as fast as we want it. They'll know we're Christians because when we're experiencing brokenness and loss and defeat or success, we're surrounding each other in love. They'll know we're Christians because we pray boldly towards God. I want you to understand what I'm experiencing. I want you to be present with me. I want to be aware of your presence. I want you to speak to that person and let them know that you're present. I want you to heal me. I I want to be healed. We pray boldly knowing that God is listening. Adam said, this has led me to conclude that God's customary way of working in our lives is through what appear to be very ordinary means. Rather than suspending the laws of nature that God created and bypassing human beings that God created to do God's work, God typically works through natural laws and normal people present in the lives of those who are suffering. So. When you go to God in prayer, however it may may be, I hope that you will include in your prayer, let me be the words, the presence, the hands, the feet of your love in the midst of those who are experiencing pain and suffering. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, though we may not get the exact answer that we were seeking, Help us to understand that you are listening intently. Though we may not live the exact life that we dreamed of, you have plenty for us to do in this life. Though we may think that we are weak and frail and cannot help someone that is suffering, help us to know that we are your hands, your feet, your words, your arms, your prayer, your love for your people. In your son's name we pray, amen. Please stand for our final hymn, number 664. Go forth and be instruments of God's grace with your words, with your hands, with your feet, with your actions. Amen.